Um, so today, um, this message that the Lord's put on my heart is something that uh, I've been sitting and studying and, and learning more about for probably the last three or four years. Um, and a lot of times when you prepare a message, you feel like you're just being obedient and you're just picking a passage and teaching it. Uh, other times you feel like the Holy Spirit is kind of leading you a direction and you go that way. And then sometimes you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to teach and speak on something specific. And today is one of those compellings. Um, so I'm doing this not out of an option, but by obedience to the Holy Spirit. So um, as we um, get in today, um, I'm gonna open with prayer and then uh, we'll dive in. So Jesus, I thank you so much um, for who you are. Uh, I thank you um, for this time. Right now, we just empty ourselves before you um, so that we can be filled with your word of truth. And we just ask that um, you would be present in this time, um, that our hearts and our eyes and our minds would see things that maybe we've been blinded to by deception. And so, Lord, we just love you and trust you with this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, my notes are gonna be the slides that are on the screen. Um, so we'll be going along this completely together. So for the first um, slide, um, if you can be put up here, uh, kind of the title for the message that I felt is A Season for War. Um, and I'm gonna read this passage for us real quick, Second Samuel chapter 11. In the spring at a time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And the parts that I highlighted, if I was to summarize that, a time when kings go off to war, David was at home. And if you don't know where this passage of scripture is, this is the opening statement or opening scripture into the David and Bathsheba story. So all of the things that followed David falling into sin through adultery and murder of one of his mighty men was because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. There are a lot of areas in our lives where maybe we're doing things or living things or not where we're supposed to be doing, not where we're supposed to be or doing the things we're supposed to be doing. And so this is the message that I had highlighted or the verse that I had highlighted is kind of the overarching reason behind this is the Lord wants to highlight some areas of our life, some things that we need to recognize. We might be in the wrong place and if we don't get out, it's gonna lead into sin. So we'll dive into the next portion um, on the next slide. So I have a lot of scripture today. Um, so if you didn't read your Bible this week, you'll be caught up, um, which is great. So I've uh, made some slides when we're going along and I've highlighted the things that I wanna emphasize um, to help us go along together. So this is Ephesians 2, one through six, and it's the primary passage where we get the world, the flesh, and the devil, which we'll get into in a minute. So I'll read it for us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that first part that's highlighted 
The following the course of this world is the world aspect. The following the prince of the power of the air is the devil or Satan. If you were to uh, skip a few chapters ahead to chapter six, you would come across probably the most popular passage when it comes to spiritual warfare, which is we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness in the heavenly realms. And so that is emphasizing that Satan is kind of lord over that realm per se, in uh, the earth um, just above it in the spiritual realm. And then the last piece is among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So this is what I would call the unholy trinity or the three enemies of the soul. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who seek to conform us into the image of Christ throughout our lives. As we read scripture, as we grow in relationship with Jesus, we become more and more like him. But at the same time, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil are seeking to deform us out of that image and into the image of the world, into what the world looks like. And so uh, if we'll go to the next slide, kind of the way that we can think about this, which has been one of the most helpful things for me, John Mark Comer is one of my favorite pastors and he wrote a book at the latter half of last, last year called Live No Lies. And he basically takes a lot of the things that we're talking about right now and does a whole book and he has probably a thousand sources cited. Um, and so if you're interested or if um, what I'm teaching on today sticks out, I encourage you to maybe go pick up that book and dive in a little bit deeper as well as reading the passages of scripture um, yourself. Um, so he, the thing that I wanna take from the book is he repackages the world, the flesh and the devil into this phrase, deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in the world around us or in a sinful society. And so when we think about the way that the enemy seeks to steal, kill and destroy from us, he tends to do it in this way. It starts with deception and about how we think about things. And those lies and deceptions tend to play towards disordered desires or the flesh. And ultimately, if we keep going down that road and we look up, when we look around, society is doing most of those things. And over time, we begin to accept and believe that those things are the right way to do it because that's what we see. And as kingdom followers, we don't do that. We fight and we tack against that. So we're gonna dive into um, the longest portion of scripture that we're gonna read um, and Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil. Um, So we're gonna kind of define those terms as we go through. Most of the time when we think of the devil or Satan, we tend to think of maybe sickness, illness, or disease, and he definitely can utilize those things. But Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil is about him as a liar, the father of lies, and someone who deceives. And ultimately, he will destroy all of us through deception in the long run as we continue to read through scripture. Um, So this is Jesus, and he's basically gonna be teaching on truth that he's come from God to share with us, combating um, some Jewish people in the midst of this conversation, and ultimately will lead to the definition of the devil um, that we'll get to. So starting um, in John chapter eight, verse 31. To the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you, really, uh, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So to pause, the first, Jesus is just expressing those of us who follow Jesus, it is a promise that when we follow him, we will know the truth and that truth will set us free. 
And so the beginning portion of this conversation is recognizing that there are lies that we believe and part of following Jesus and reading his word and living in community is we recognize places where we've been deceived and we can repent of those things and turn and acknowledge that we need more truth. And our whole life of faith is that. And he's talking um, to some Jews right here and they answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament but pretty much the entire thing or huge portions of it are dedicated to either the people coming out of slavery, going into slavery, or currently being enslaved. And they're saying this while they are currently enslaved to Rome. So they are so deceived by the lies that they're believing that while they're currently enslaved, they can't even tell. And so in the truth that Jesus is proclaiming, he's saying this truth will set you free. They're so deceived that they have no room to even recognize that truth. And they're talking about not being enslaved while they're enslaved. That's crazy. And we do that all the time. We'll continue on the next slide. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know, that Ab- I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. So I emphasize that I was, I was reading, but they're so full of lies and deception that there's no space for God's word to do any work. They're not open to change. They're not able to see. They're so blinded and they're so full that God doesn't have any space to fill. On to the next slide. Abraham is our father, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you, would do, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you were looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. So I I emphasized we are not illegitimate children because if you're a part of the Christian faith, you know that a key part of what we believe is that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and that it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that he was conceived. And so what they're doing is as Jesus is highlighting the sin in their life, their first response to the sin being highlighted in their life is to attack him. And often in our own lives, whether it's a friend or an enemy that comes to us and, re- and points out something in our lives that might be wrong, generally our first response is to go on the offense. Well, it's your fault, not my fault. Or it's what you did. Because we'll be blinded by it or we're offended by it. And rather than humbling ourselves to seek the scriptures to see if it might be true and go to the close relationships we have in our family to see if there might be truth in the words of what was said, regardless of whether it came from someone we like or dislike. That's where the work gets done. That's why part of the Christian faith is being humble because we have to acknowledge that when we encounter sin or when we recognize there are places in our lives where we've been deceived, that we need to turn towards the truth. And that's what this is recognizing. So rather than acknowledge their sin, they attack the person who is confronting them. Into the last portion for this scripture on the next slide. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So this is where we get the concept of the deceptive ideas, devil, as we defined in the deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, which is our flesh that then gets normalized in the world around us. So we've defined using the Bible who the devil is and that he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. He is a deceiver. So um, we'll jump into the next passage, which is defining kind of the world and the flesh. So the, on the next um, slide, if you were to turn to 1 John 2.16, you would find this verse. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Uh, if you have a different translation, the word there might be desires, um, not lust. And that can be a helpful way to think about it sometimes, because when we hear lust, we tend to only think sexual in nature, um, but desires is kind of more all-encompassing. But when I memorized it, I memorized it with this one. So when I swap, sometimes I mess it up. So that's why I'm using this one. So this is gonna be our framework that as we continue on, we're gonna find these things in the next two pieces of scripture that we go to. And this is the flesh portion. So we're gonna see Satan enter into the conversations that we go next, so deceit, so deception, and directly following that, it's gonna to play to the flesh or the disordered desires, which are these three things, which will be highlighted. Um, so we're gonna jump, uh, or the next slide real quick. So um, lust of the flesh is physical indulgence in things the world offers over God. Lust of the eyes is seeking after that which God has said not to, covetousness or lust. The pride of life is elevating ourselves higher than or equal to God. Next slide. <clears throat> so this is... Um, most of you will be very familiar with this passage. Um, in Genesis 2, just before this, God makes uh, man and woman, and he gives them basically one rule. He ordains one thing, and he says, you can eat of anything in the garden, all of it, except the one tree, the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because you will surely die. So the last thing that we see that Adam and Eve hear from God is, don't do this, everything else you can have. So enter Satan into the uh, story. Now the serpent, we know that this is also Satan because Revelations 12, nine, the verse tells us that the serpent in the garden is Satan. So if you, did, if you weren't aware, we interpret scripture with scripture, not our favorite commentary or favorite pastor. So I'm defining that term based off scripture. So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, questioning, deception. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Insert more deception. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So 
insert another deceptive idea that's beginning to play. He basically rephrased what God said in the passage prior, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's basically saying, God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so he's sowing a seed of deception that's playing off of what we'll see, their disordered desires in the next verse. So when the woman saw it, the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So if you wanna flip to the next slide um, real quick, just so that you can see the correlation. So you have good for food is lust of the flesh, a delight to the eyes, is lust of the eyes and desire to make one wise is the pride of life, which was all that is within the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life from that first John two sixteen passage. So it starts out with this deceptive idea. He shows up and he sows to see and he begins to question the things that God has said and they start to go, okay, maybe. And then all of a sudden when they look up at the fruit, their flesh starts to lead them that direction ultimately leading them into sin. Now let's jump to the next passage of scripture and the last one that we have um, for today. This is uh, Matthew chapter four, uh, verses one through 11. You can also find the same story in uh, Luke chapter four. And this is the temptation of Jesus. And if you were to turn to chapter three, the last thing that happens right before this scene is Jesus is baptized. And when he comes up, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the last thing that Jesus hears from God is, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Enter Satan into the story. Matthew 4, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after, 40, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what is the first thing that he does? The last thing Jesus heard was, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan enters the story and the first thing he does is, are you? If you are. And right after that, he tempts him with a desire of the flesh satisfy yourself, turn this stone into bread. We'll continue on. Then the devil took him uh, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. So here, once again, questions. If you are the son of God, do this. And basically, if you know the Christian faith and partly why we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus did all of his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though he came and is fully God and fully man, he did not count the equality of God something to be grasped. So he took his godness and set it on a shelf and lived a life like we would. In the passage right before this, the Holy Spirit descends on him and starts his ministry where the rest of his ministry is the Holy Spirit is leading him. 
and he's only doing what he sees the Father doing, and every miracle, everything that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit, not Jesus using his God powers. Which is why for us, passages of scripture that say, all these things I have done, you will do an even greater, has more to do with the fact that Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit fell and was released to all of us as the body of Christ. So now we have the ability as a community to go out and do the things that Jesus did the same way he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Satan shows up and questions, if you're the son of God, pick up your power and just command the angels. So he's doing the same thing, pride of life, pick up your power. You don't need all these other things, you're God. If you're the son of God, just use your own power. Next slide. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him and him only shall you serve. So he doesn't show up the same way this time. He's failed the last two times by sowing the deceptive idea, so he tries a different tactic. And he just says, I'll give you all of this, everything that you see. And also we have to notice that Jesus doesn't deny that. So he's saying, I can give you the world, everything that's here. But instead he says, there's only one person that I worship and you are not him. And he's playing off of the lust of the eyes. He takes him somewhere and shows him everything. All of this, all of the world, anything that you want, I can give it to you right now. And Jesus combats that with scripture. Uh, next slide. The last verse um, is, then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. But if you were to turn to the Luke 4 version in, chapter, or in verse 13, it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we talked about 1 John 2.16 is all that's within the world is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And in Genesis, we saw those three thing, same three things come to play. And then we just saw Jesus deal with the same three temptations. And at the end of those three things, you have a Bible verse that says, when the devil had tempted him with every temptation. So in my life, in ministry, and uh, living with people in my own personal life, um, I've come to find that almost everyone, we all will struggle with sins in all of these areas. But generally, we all have one of these three that I consider kind of our thorn in the flesh. So none of us really know what the thorn in the flesh is that Paul is talking about, but I like to think that it's this. For all of us, we tend to have one primary sin area or sin focus in our life that we battle every day until we die. And no matter how much we pray or fight, it's still there. And no matter what, Satan is waiting for an opportune time to jump on that one sin area. So even though we will battle in all of these areas, something I want you to be thinking about as we continue is generally we have one that is primary in our life and we have to begin to fight against that. All of it, of course, but the one that is right there until the day you die, it's gonna be crouching at your door waiting to steal, kill and destroy you. And we have to be ready to go against it with the truth of God's word just as Jesus did. When the deception comes, we preach the truth against it. Um, if you wanna to go to the next slide. If you were taking notes, the three things, um, I just put it here so it's easier. Turn these stones into the bread is the lust of the flesh, notoriety, all of the kingdoms of the world, lust of the eyes and power, command these angels, the pride of life. 
And then uh, the last slide. So to get to some applicable things for us specifically, um, Evagrius Ponticus was an early church father in about 400 AD. And he grew up in an affluent family. And he, this is just after, like 50 years after Christianity was named the religion of Rome. And so basically this is 50 years after that period. And he's basically fed up with cultural Christianity. And he goes, all these people are saying that they follow Jesus or that they believe in Jesus and none of them are living like it. And I'm upset about it. So he decides he's gonna pack a few things after reading the passage of scripture we just read and go into the desert and fight the devil. And so he packs his things and he heads off into the desert and he starts fighting the devil. And then the rumor was that he was winning. And so people begin to seek him out for his wisdom on the process of things that he was going through here. And this is basically the beginning of the monastic order before things went bonkers. So he goes out into the desert and he starts to wage war, and this, he writes a book. And if you aren't aware of who he is, it's in this book that we get what we know as the seven deadly sins. He wrote eight, but we decided over the centuries to merge vain glory and pride. So if you're reading it, he has eight, but we decided to turn it into seven, which are at the bottom screen there. But he wrote a book called Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons, which is also probably the coolest book title I've ever heard in my entire life. And it was written in 400 AD, so none of us had a shot at writing that book. Anyways, Talking Back specifically, what that's referring to is a spiritual discipline that he defines in this book. And instead of just using the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, he breaks down sin and lies and deception into those eight categories. I have the seven here, but into the eight sin categories. And he takes time and does 500 different entries of lies or deceit or deception that either come from the world, from the flesh, or from the devil and demons. And underneath each specific lie, he writes a truth, a verse from scripture that combats that specific lie. And I wanna encourage you all today to consider doing this for yourself, to ask the Lord to seek and search where you might have been blinded by deceit, like the Jewish people were. They were so blinded that they couldn't even tell that they were currently in bondage. And the beginning of change is starting with acknowledgement that you might not know everything and I might not know everything. And there are places that could be hidden within us that the Lord wants to shine a light on like Austin shared when we were opening worship. There are some areas in all of our lives where the Lord wants to highlight and he wants to bring some change in our lives. And he wants to heal places that have been so deceived in one direction that you can't even recognize maybe truth about yourself or what God actually thinks about you. So doing this, I would encourage you, especially if you're someone who struggles a lot with comparison, this is something that should be a primary practice in your spiritual faith if you're someone that struggles with comparison. Because this is, every time there's a comparison thought, you stand immediately on the truth of God's word and say, nope, he thinks this, doesn't matter. And that's what Jesus just did in the passage before this. And this is the wisdom of a church father from early in the faith, giving us this um, guide. So um, we're gonna go uh, into ministry time here in just a second. Typically um, in life, when we are struggling with things significantly and we're not able to overcome, 
there tend to be three specific areas in our life that we need to check to help us change. The first is it's a repentance issue. There is sin in our life and we need to acknowledge that it's there and we need to repent and turn away from it. The second is a faith issue. There are promises in scripture and things that we are called and told to believe and hope in with faith and trust that God will be faithful in those things. And oftentimes we can just be wrestling with truly trusting the Lord with certain things. And uh, the last is a lordship issue. There are certain things in your life that you have not surrendered to him. And you have idols in your life that are in equal standing with God. And if you live that way, you will be blinded by those idols because they have just as much power over you as he does. And that is when they're talking about, you have no room in yourself for me to fill. It's because you have idols in your life or I have idols in my life that are blinding us from our ability to step into the deeper things that God is inviting us into. So as we've talked about these things, I want you to think about deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires or our flesh that then get normalized in the world around us and the importance of recognizing areas in our life where there might be places that we've been deceived and that we don't wanna satisfy the desires of our flesh, but we want to love and honor and serve God and live in community together that does that. This type of stuff doesn't happen alone. We have to live in community. We have to be a place that calls each other higher, that is iron sharpening iron, that is encouraging, that doesn't run away or attack when someone confronts us with things, but is willing to humble, we're willing to humble ourselves and search the scriptures or ask our friends to speak wisdom into our life or to share more insight on specific things. We don't want to be deceived the way that Adam and Eve were. We want to be like Jesus and be able to proclaim the truth that is counter to what um, the things are that we might be believing. So uh, I'm just gonna pray for us um, as we go into a ministry time and the ministry teams come up. Um, if you think that there are some areas in your life, or even if you don't think, I can pretty much just tell you there are areas in all of our lives that we might have been deceived to believe things that are wrong. Um, and whether you wanna come up and receive prayer from one of our ministry teams or sit right where you're at, I encourage you to ask God to begin to real, reveal things in your heart, in your mind, in your life, with your soul, and your emotions, every aspect of who you are as a person, to open yourself up to the Lord and let him search and sift you.